Bruce Wozniak. Fascinating man. I enjoyed talking to him. One of the original podcasters um, started in 2014, has over 725 episodes. He talks to musicians, uh, which fascinates me. I love talking to musicians. Um, those that listen or watch know that. We start the episode talking about the music industry and musicians. He has uh, a company that now hear this, of course, that's a publicist company that helps musicians and people in the music field. Uh, it's a great conversation on how you know the industry is treating musicians, songwriters, artists, uh, etc. How he brings how he talked to some great artists, by the way, uh, and we talk about some stories about songwriters writing in other people's voices. Uh, fascinating subject for me. Uh, he talked, I talked about Roy Orbison in one particular case where U2, Bono, and Edge created a song that they thought was perfect for him. And Bruce has actually talked to his son, to Roy Orbison's son, in an interview. And we, great conversation about that. Really enjoyed talking to Bruce. And he's just been a podcaster for so long. I don't get the opportunity to speak to many podcasters, but great conversation with Bruce. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hi. I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, I have hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Got a great uh, energy as it is, Bruce yeah. Wozniak. Thank you so much for your time. I'm very excited to talk to a uh, you know a podcast veteran. But first, with music, is the music industry fair to the artists? <sighs> is the music industry fair to the artists? It's fair in the sense that you can control as much as you want. I think the people who say it's not fair are the people who are too busy complaining and sitting back and trying to find the flaws as opposed to realizing that, okay, the system might not be perfect, but it's a wonderful time to be a creator of any kind. But as it relates mm. to music, this is a great time that it's a level playing field. And yes, someone like Bruce Springsteen can walk into a million dollar recording studio but someone who has great gear and great talent can make a great quality recording at home and they're going to be on 
iTunes where Bruce Springsteen is. They're going to be on Amazon Music where Bruce Springsteen is. The list goes on of all the different platforms. And so, okay, people are, will, will say, but what about Spotify though? That's that's unfair. It's, a, it's interesting that people will complain about it being unfair and that it only pays less than a penny per stream. But those are the same people who are always telling everybody, pre-save on Spotify and make sure you stream my new song on Spotify. So which is it? And I know that that it's, well, because I want to get millions and millions and millions of streams so that I can monetize it. Well, you can't have it both ways. Out of one side of your mouth, you're criticizing Spotify and saying how broken it is and what a fraction of a penny you get for each stream. And on the other side of your mouth, you're saying, I want to be the person that gets so many millions of streams that now it starts to make sense for me. So there's so much that goes into it. It's a very complex topic to talk about. But like I said, I love that artists can have so much control, even as an indie artist. And more and more of them have said that they really prefer it that way instead of being at the whim of what a label wants to do and what a label wants to dictate or what a label won't do for you. And you're going to have to end up getting stuck doing all this stuff yourself. The money to be made is out on the road as it is touring. It's such a difficult time because it's difficult for artists to sell physical units in terms of their music. So when you get into something like merchandise, when you get into something like actual paid admission to your shows, then you can start making some money. Yeah, I think we're around the same age, Bruce. I'm in my mid fifties, and I remember as a as a kid, we would go to concerts for ten dollars, for fifteen dollars. We'd see big bands at the time, you know, Jay Giles and you know, uh, Madonna, even big bands, and they were always shows for almost free. It's cheap, but go buy the albums. So they were promoting their album as their concerts. Now it's the complete opposite right now it's here's the music go to the shows uh yeah. so it's just a the 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 paradigm has been shifted but i i believe it gives more control to the artist like you said yeah it definitely does and i think it's the artists who embrace that that really get more enjoyment out of their music career because as i said those that want to just sit around and complain about it you can't fight City Hall. And yes, I know I've I've interviewed myself, someone who is literally in a behind closed doors meeting at Spotify. But those people are so few and far between the ones that are going to be able to go to Capitol Hill, the ones that are going to be able to go into a boardroom at Spotify and really make a difference. So embrace mm. the opportunity that you have and enjoy your music career. I know it's a business and I stress that all the time, but enjoy it. And if you can afford to get out on the road, meet your fans, make new fans, keep creating new music. And it always boils down, Joey, to I, I talk so much about, well, what is your definition of success? Because mm. people will say, well, I really want to have a successful music career. And I say, well, what does that mean? Does it mean happiness? Does it mean financially? Does it mean I'm touring the world? Because you could probably ask 20 different artists, what does a successful music career mean to you? And get something close to 20 different answers. So you just have to look in the mirror and say, am I happy with what I'm doing? And if I'm not, what can I change or what can I get someone to help me change so that I start getting more happiness out of it? And if it's purely the financial part, well, then there's some part of your business model that's a little bit fractured that needs to be repaired. Hmm. I remember a famous uh, Prince quote. Um, somebody asked him, you know, uh, how is the how's the record business? And he said, I'm not in the record business. I'm in the music business. 
Yeah. You know, right. you know, that's what, that's what he does. And we've seen artists feud with, with labels. Actually Prince at one point, he didn't he write slave on his cheek. You know, he had a, I remember, I think it was Neil Young had, had to, had issues with the label. They wanted to do a certain amount of stuff. In the so we have all these examples of these, uh, you know, artists being beholden to the label where now that's really not the case since it's uh, the, the paradigm has really reversed. Yeah. And then you get artists that take a stand, you know, when Joe Rogan got signed to Spotify and they immediately labeled him as controversial, there were yeah. major artists that said, I don't want to be on the same platform as him. So it's him or it's me. And then they went further and took all their music down. And in the end, I think that really does. Those, I don't care if they are A-listers, listers depending on their age and their popularity may be on the downslope. But at that point, you think, Maybe not the best move because, again, whether you like Spotify or not, that's where people pretty much are going to first nowadays to look for music. So if you pull all your music from there, people are going to go, ah, so where do I look for? And never mind. And they're just going to listen to someone else. It's very true. It's it's all too often, you know, I'll hear a new artist, wherever it may be, maybe Saturday Night Live or somebody will, you know, tell me about a new artist and I can within seconds find their material. And if I don't find them, uh, we mentioned Spotify, that's what I use, but I know Apple is popular and Amazon, there's other platforms. But if I can't find them there, nah, I say, well, how good are they if they can't even be here? I, we have artists like also like De La Soul, whose music couldn't be released because of rights issues and now we're finding out they're going to be released very shortly which i'm very excited about but you know this these platforms that just enable the music to be there so quickly i mean i i i ended up giving all my D my cds away what did you do bruce do you keep vinyl do you have cds still i have vinyl and cds i the only place that i play cds nowadays is is in my vehicle when i'm driving around uh you know i I have a sentimentality for them. If I meet an artist and he or she gives me my CD, I happily take it from them because I know they're proud of it and I know they want to share their music. And I kind of tell myself, if it's someone that makes enough of an impact on me, I'll tell myself, I need to make sure I listen to this at some point while I'm driving because mm. that's really about, I mean, I have a boom box laying around here. I could play it in. I have a, an external CD drive that I could plug into my laptop if I really wanted to, but, you know, that's the most quote unquote convenient. And so that's kind of what I tell myself. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, I do like some of the music discovery platforms that are out there. I love, you know, being able to Shazam a song when I hear it somewhere and and, and create my playlist and, and discover new artists that way. Because sometimes you hear a great song, you have no idea who it's by. Mm. And all of a sudden, now you Shazam it, you find out who it is, you put them on your playlist, and then it does that thing that every artist should want to happen, which is what else have these folks done? And then you right. look for more that that artist has put out. Well, I definitely know we're in the, we're the same age when you use the term boombox. Uh, <laughs> I know I know exactly what that is. You you have a great podcast where you talk to hundreds of, of musical artists. I've watched and listened to a lot of the interviews. You know, what always fascinates me about artists just in general is their inspiration. And I, I'm always, it always takes me back to the one story where 
we have Bob Dylan creating along the watchtower and within, you know, days or weeks you have Jimi Hendrix playing it live and Bob Dylan listens to it and says, you know, that song was never mine. That was his, I just mm. heard it the way it should have been played. So I, you know, the way artists kind of, and I gave myself the chills thinking about that, the way the artists kind of think about the songs aren't really theirs, you know, and they kind of receive it and others have, and there are other voices that way. Um, do you find this to be the general consensus of the artists when you speak to them? I don't know if I would say the general consensus, but I have heard it enough. So many of them have so many different stories, but in a sense, they're sort of the same in terms of, the technology nowadays. I recently interviewed somebody who said, I should just speak into my smartphone or have some kind of voice recorder when I get these song ideas. He said, but I'm old fashioned and I use a pencil and paper and I mm. actually write down the ideas. And he said, if you think about it, it's more nostalgic that way because at some point in time, you can go back and say, this was the original lyrics that were handwritten to that song, he said, as opposed to what are you going to do? Point to a hard drive and say, that's the computer mm. that I recorded my voice memos into. So I do hear a lot of artists that will tell me about, you know, waking up in the middle of the night with a melody idea or a hook, and they'll just speak it into their phone or sing it into their phone, or it's when they're driving a lot of the similar stories. But yeah, you know, a lot of them are are kind of talking about, as you said, their inspiration. I love asking, you know, where were you when you got the idea for that song? And what does the song mean? And when did you write it? Why did you write it? And I think they really enjoy getting to talk about that because it's kind of that soundbite society that we live in nowadays where everybody's going, yeah, 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 just get to the song. I just want to hear the song itself. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> because that person put their blood, sweat, and tears into creating that song and so many songwriters, Joey, they will talk about their songs and they'll tell me, these are my babies. And they always mm. use that word, these are my babies. And so when they re release those babies out into the world, they become children. And now they're songs that have to stand on their own two feet. It really means a lot to them. I don't care how many years later it is, uh, but it's fascinating to listen to some of the stories that that do come up. You know, some of them are, are quite emotional. Some of them are just, you know, uh, you know, I, I wish I had a great story for you, but it's a song about a fast car. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a fascinating topic of, of you know, creating something in somebody else's voice. There's a great story at U2, Bono the Edge, uh, where they, they wrote this song and they just could not record it because they said it sounds like a Roy Orbison, something Roy Orbison would sing. Mm. So they went to his concert and they met him and they presented him the song. The song is called uh, She's a Mystery. And I believe it's the last song Roy Oberson ever recorded. It's a beautiful song. And it's, again, chills are happening here, Bruce, but you can, you hear, you hear him singing it and it, you just think it's his song. But if you look at the credits, it's not written by him at all. And they insisted that it's his song. It's just, mm. it's amazing how these, you know, these artists feel like so strong. And I've I've had the great pleasure interviewing some artists before. And I asked, have you ever written something in, in somebody else's voice? And they'll kind of sit back and say, Yeah, actually, I have. It's just it's fascinating to me the motivation of artists. I I I don't have enough of that in my life. And so I'd like to hear about it. I wonder if you hear stories like that. I'm, I'm laughing because I interviewed Roy Orbison Jr. And Roy Jr. Right. told me about meeting Bono himself. Uh, and so 
I, that connection kind of was reattached for me when you said that. And, mm. and those are the song, those are the songs, those are the stories that really stick with you. You know that someone has done a good job when you are hooked on what the story is about. And of course, you know, you're going to get the teenage girls who are hanging on the breakup songs or the he's the love of my life songs. But I'm talking about some of the real statements that are being made out there. And I mentioned Bruce Springsteen before, you know, he's one that there's always very powerful messages in, in his songs and, and certainly you too as well. So that's, that's what I was getting at before. We're talking about the songwriters and how passionate they are about talking about their material because a lot of them really are trying to get a message out. Some of them are trying to make an impact, something that has to do with a certain cause that they're emotionally attached to for whatever reason. They're trying to be change makers with their lyrics, with their music. So it's very powerful. And when you dumb it down and think of the person that's just, I'm just driving to work and I just need background music on, you kind of go, oh gosh, mm. <laughs> don't don't let mm. the, the creators hear that. <laughs> I wondered, uh, I, I heard a little bit, but did, did you ask uh, Roy, uh, Roy's son uh, why his father barely moved his lips? Uh, that's just a joke. I, I, I wonder when he sang. Yeah. No, but you know what, though? I do, I do want to say, when I went into that interview with Roy Jr., I told myself he probably gets asked about his dad all the time. All the time. Of and course when he he's a guest on any show, they probably want to do nothing but ask him about his dad. Right. And I thought, I want to ask Roy Jr. about Roy Jr., so I'm going to make this interview as much as I can about him. And to his credit, all he wanted to talk about was his dad. And I thought, that's entirely different. When the guest wants to drive the conversation in a certain direction, I'm going to let them go there, especially in a case like that where you're talking about you know, music royalty. Uh, and so the fact that all he wanted to do was talk about his dad, I thought, well, that says a lot about him that I'm trying to give him the opportunity to make it about himself. And instead, he wants to make it about his dad and preserving Roy Sr.'s legacy. Must be difficult. We just had, you know, Lisa Marie Presley just pass. And, you know, I, you know, I can't help but wonder how many, you know, times somebody came up to her and said, you know, your father meant so much to me when I heard Love Me Tender, I was getting married. You know, it's like, it gets to a certain point where, you know, uh, you know, you just, you appreciate it, but you just kind of want to build a wall. It's must be very tough, um, situation does the artist's intention of where they feel the meaning of a song or their art is is that important to the consumer of it i think there's a percentage yes i think there's a percentage that especially if it is someone who really has a cause that that they're really pushing and they're trying to use their their music as part of it if you get behind that same cause then that means even more to you. And you really want to support that artist and all that he or she is doing. To a large part of the listening public, I think they're more interested in a good hook, a good melody. Uh, and conversely, the minute they hear something about that artist that turns them off, or if they have very differing viewpoints, then all of a sudden I think they say, I never really liked their music anyways. You know, And all of a sudden they're trying to distance themselves from that artist as, as quickly as they can. And you know, that obviously, I, I love when you can tell that an artist is sincere and that they're being genuine about whatever cause they're involved with. But let's face it, I said it already on this discussion that you and I are having, Joey, it's a music business. And right. so they do need more fans. They do need 
more tickets sold. They do need more merchandise sold. They do need more streams. So if you can lock into a cause, that's going to just unite tons and tons of people as opposed to, you know, 72 people who are really big advocates of, you know, insert random cause here, uh, then it's only going to serve your music career even better because now you're going to have legions that are going to follow you. That's very true. And, you know, Chuck D from Public Enemy has a, a favorite, a famous quote where he said, you know, I know drug dealers are listening to our music, even though he's, he, he says it in the lyrics, you know, he does, he's, a, he's not for it, but he said, what, what can we possibly do? What can we do about that? You know, Michael Jordan famously said, there was like a democratic Senator that wanted him to do something. And he said, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. So it goes along with your point of, it's still a business at the end. And and sometimes I hear people kind of arguing over a song's definition. Like for me, when I go, well, we're both in the Tampa area. We go over here to the Dolly Museum down there in St. Pete. And, you know, I look at one of his paintings and my interpretation is radically different from my friends, but nobody's really wrong. I, you know, he, he may have made it as a statement for, well, Dolly had plenty of statements, that's for sure, in that example. But it, uh, it, I, I wonder those arguments over what the artist meant. What, what difference does it make? It's, it's out now and you could take it and do it what you want with it. Yeah, I think you get into an area there where it brings up the discussion of good PR versus bad PR as long as they're mm. talking about you. So if two people are arguing over yeah. a song, as long as they both like it and perhaps they like it for different reasons, the artist is happy. Now, if someone just can't stand the song, they can't stand the artist. I don't want to say then you have a problem, but it does kind of bring up that conversation of, okay, we obviously see this very differently, this song or this entire album, this EP, this soundtrack, whatever it is. And I mean, that's the beauty of, of the country and the world that we live in is we are entitled to our own opinions and not everyone's going to like the same music. Not everyone's going to like the same films, the same TV shows. But that's the beauty of how much art is being created out there that you can say, okay, look, we're just not going to agree on this. And you go your separate ways. And this person who likes it keeps listening to that. And this person goes and listens to who they're loyal to. Mm. Yeah, very well said. Are you a former musician, Bruce? Do you, do, I, I see in the Gibson stores. Do you, you, do you play? I play guitar, but you're never going to see me in a band or, you know, in some kind of, in some kind of professional capacity. <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. I, I know, I know, I don't know, eight or nine chords. And I remember saying that to a musician once he had, I, we were talking and he said, you play guitar. Well, I said, well, I know eight or nine chords. And he goes, well, that's five more than I know, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he's a musician and he's a songwriter. And, uh, I, I saw also, you went to a, a songwriters convention. What is that like? Uh, I go to a lot, a lot of songwriters festivals. The yes. songwriters festivals are, wonderful opportunities for the general public to sit and experience exactly what you and I have been talking about, listening to songwriters play their original music more often than not in a quote unquote listening room atmosphere, which means there's no talking aloud. A L L O W E D. <laughs> there's no, wow. well, you can't, you can't talk aloud because it's not allowed. Ha ha ha. Uh, <laughs> and it's because they want the songwriters to be able to have the opportunity to tell the audience about their song and then perform it and let you be able to listen to the lyrics. 
without hearing dishes clanging and forks and glasses and sports on TV and loud conversations at the bar. I'm not saying it's 100% across the board because, yes, there are some songwriters festivals that you'll go to where they'll say, okay, we've got people participating in this festival at these 11 different venues. And maybe seven of the venues are listening room atmosphere and the other four are not, or it could be the other way, four and seven, and maybe only four of them are listening room. So, but, but they're, Mm. they're wonderful opportunities because a lot of times these are songwriters who, you know, the song you've heard it on the radio, but then you go, wait, that's the person that wrote it. And so I think it kind of helps educate the public on the fact that just because a song is on the radio doesn't mean that the artist who's performing it is the one that wrote it. Uh, and or they get to learn about things like co-writes and some of these collaborations that get done and how the songs come to be in the first place. And songwriter festivals are great because the songwriters, it means so much to them and it gives them kind of an opportunity to come out from behind the curtain. Some of them, depending on the location, view it as a little bit of a vacation and uh, it's they're very approachable. They're very down to earth. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of mixing and mingling with, I'm going to call them the artists, the songwriters, because sometimes a songwriter isn't an artist. Sometimes they're both. Uh, but so the fact that they get to talk to the public and, and see this interest from the music attendees there, it, it's it's really refreshing because if you think of, as you were saying before, going to a concert in an arena Fans walk in, band comes on stage, band plays, band exits, fans leave. And there's zero interaction unless you pay, which has really gotten out of hand. You yeah. pay for that VIP backstage before yeah. the concert experience, which basically is you walk up, they say, hi, put your arms around, take a picture, really love your music, next, and walk away. So that interaction at a songwriters festival is tremendous compared to the, the concert experience. And a lot of times you don't even have to pay to see these performances at songwriters festivals, as opposed to the exorbitant ticket prices that some of these A-listers are charging now for arena and stadium shows. Has technology helped the songwriter? Well, if you say the songwriter and not the artist, it depends on on where you're drawing the line in terms of timeline, because you know, is it a lot more helpful that now your smartphone is something you can text people on and call people mm. on and put song ideas into with a voice recorder? Yeah. And certainly, you know, if you kind of dig a little deeper into home recording, the technology is there that you don't have to just to get a demo of your song. You don't have to go to a recording studio. You mm. can do it at home. So, uh, you know, if I could only answer yes or no, I think I would say yes. I mean, I've seen some applications that, you know, you write a line, a lyric, and then it'll give you suggestions as to what rhymes with the last word. I mean, there's some applications out there that that have really gone. And as far as home recording, I believe Billie Eilish, the very first album, she recorded with her brother completely at her at her home in California, in like you know, on a Mac. And uh, so the technology. It's, I'm in the technology industry. That's why I, I always ask this. Getting back to the. Why music, Bruce? I mean, you got this great podcast, right? You've done over 700. Uh, I mean, you're a, a godfather. 2014, I believe, is when you started. Why? I, I know you're in the industry. Let's talk about it a little bit. But why musicians? Why do you interview them? So the story begins 
back when I was in the Olympic movement. That was my regular nine to five full-time job. And I had started that job and there was an event coming up where they needed a national anthem singer. And so in church every Sunday, I was hearing this girl sing who I just thought was really great. And so one Sunday before I walked out of church, I went up and asked her, you know, do you ever perform outside of church? And she said, yeah, you know, sometimes here and there, fairs and festivals in the area, those kind of things. And I said, well, you're really good. More people need to hear you. And I'd love to come hear you sing something other than church music sometime. And so the more that I got to know her and did get the opportunity to hear her outside of church, I told her, I said, my whole professional career has been in communications, you know, which is PR, media relations, marketing, the web, social media, that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, I'd love to to give you public relations services, communication services to get more people aware of your talents. And she misunderstood me. She thought I was trying to make a sale and kind of backed off nervously. And thank you, you know, but my dad already helps me with that. And the more I kind of explained myself, she started to realize this guy's just volunteering to do it out of the goodness of his heart. And eventually word got to her father and her father kind of looked at her like, why would you pass this up if this guy's got all this experience doing this and I'm your dad, but I'm not in the music business. I'm not in PR. I don't know about this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Like, let's see if he can help us out. So I slowly started working with them. And once I started showing results, it was like, okay, what else is there? And, you know, things really started to go so well for the two of us that I took a step back and said, I can make a business out of doing this. Mm. So that's how I formed my company. Now hear this. And so as now hear this went along, I got to the point where started hearing more and more about podcasting, <clears throat> had a more than cursory interest in it. And finally, I got to the point where I decided, okay, I want to start a podcast. I think it could help my business. Now, keep in mind, I started now here, this entertainment in February, 2014. And back then podcasting was not what it was now. So that's all I thought it was going to be is this will be a good marketing tool for my business. Maybe some guy will hear me who's listening in Tucson, Arizona, and he'll say, this Bruce guy really knows his stuff. I should see if he can manage and promote me from across the miles. So my idea was, well, if I interview musicians, then a couple things can happen. Number one is I can show my expertise in these conversations, and maybe a listener will say, I'd like to hire Bruce. But number two, I could give them the exposure I would want my clients to have, and that's why my episodes are so long, 45, 50, 55 minutes, because I thought, if it was up to me, I would want my clients to be the guest in a long form interview, not these short five to seven minute things with the predictable questions. Then I started thinking, well, this is also another way for me to make great contacts. And number four is it's a great way to get questions answered, meaning mm-hmm. things that I want to know or things that I know my clients want to know or things that I kind of hear around the music industry, different conversations. Let me get these people who are having success in entertainment, primarily music, tell me in their own words how they are getting their music placed in film and television, how they are getting their album projects entirely crowdfunded through Kickstarter or whatever platform they choose, how they are getting booked at such great venues, Hard Rock, House of Blues, places like that, and so on. And so to me, it just seemed to make perfect sense. And so then what I did is I thought, well, I want to get this podcast started. This is great. I'm hooked. I I really am excited about it. I don't know about recording it. I'm just going to go to a recording studio and let them handle it. That way oh, I can wow. get on, I can get out the door faster 
and have a podcast that's releasing episodes and not have to be slowed down by, I don't know how to record a podcast. Certainly there was a point in time where everything did change and I do all the recording myself now, but that was kind of the the ramp up period to, to getting all that going and then really getting established in it. And what has changed now from the time when you started? Certainly the technology's there where there's more directories. There's When was the word podcast even invented, by the way? Was it even called that back then, 2014? It was because it, it was born out of when there used to be iPods that That's we right, would Apple. listen on. So yeah. yeah, it was the word podcast was certainly around before 2014. But I think what <clears> changed <throat> for me over the years was a few things. Number one was I started seeing what the podcast was and wasn't doing for me. I saw the explosion of podcasting around me. You know, I took a step back at one point and looked in the mirror and said, hey, self, you're not really promoting your business anymore. You're not telling people this is who I am and what I do. And and as you just asked, you know, why Now Hear This Entertainment comes under the Now Hear This Incorporated umbrella. So periodically I would kind of, you know, change my intro a little bit and remind people, you know, Now Hear This provides management, promotion, and booking services. If you're interested, please contact me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but really, Joey, I really saw the power in the connections that I was making. So, I mean, that's not a step back. That's like a half a dozen steps back where you go, wait a minute, this is borderline game changer because mm. now I'm meeting like significant, significant musicians, people in the music industry who can help my clients so that when I get a client that has a need and I think to myself, so-and-so was on the podcast, he or she can help this person. I'm ready to make that connection, which my clients find so valuable. It's also mm. opened so many doors for me. Say, you know, I do a lot of speaking. So all of a sudden now I'm speaking at events because they see the glitz and the glamour of this podcast that has listeners in 162 countries. It's top 2% in the world out of more than 2.9 million podcasts. The longevity, the guest list. And so all of a sudden now, I'm getting opportunities to speak at events that I probably wouldn't have otherwise before if I was, quote unquote, only the president of Now Hear This Incorporated. And so, so many things started changing that I thought, okay, podcasting itself is becoming so much more dominant. I can't say that when I started in February 2014 that I really looked at monetizing the podcast only in the sense of, okay, maybe I'll get some clients out of it. But now over the years, you know, one of my presentations that I do is 12 ways to monetize a podcast. So, and there's certainly more than 12. But in other words, I got to see over the years that, oh, if I did this, there's a chance I can make a little bit extra money out of the podcast. And if I did this, I can make a little bit extra money too. So the longer that I've been in it, I mean, obviously it's it's changing all the time, uh, but the barrier of entry is is still really low. And, and that's yeah. kind of where we, we separate the men from the boys because yeah. you see the people that get into podcasting because of that low barrier of entry and six months later, they're out. Yeah, the, the statistics there, you said 2.9 million. I think that's the last I heard to around 3 million, but I, the numbers are something like 50% don't last beyond 10 episodes and 80% don't last more than a year or something like that. And, uh, uh, there is a very low, uh, barrier to entry. Do you think video has become, uh, uh, an important part of podcasting? 
I do. I think I struggle with embracing giving you a, a real hearty yes because I don't do video podcasts myself. And the reason I don't is because I just don't have the bandwidth to do it. I have flirted with it here and there. And then I see, you know, I'm too much of a perfectionist. So part of it is that I get in my own way. And so these things take longer because I'm such a perfectionist. But at the same time, I know that video has definitely established itself. I'm always kind of surprised when I hear about the people that will ask me, is your podcast on YouTube? And I say, no, is that where you live? Oh, well, I guess I have to say watch podcasts. And they say, oh, I don't mm. I don't watch it. I just play it through YouTube and I put the phone down, face down on the desk. And I think to myself now, why do you need YouTube for that? Help me understand why YouTube is your go-to platform for podcast consumption if you're putting your phone face down on the desk. Why not just go to Spotify? Why not just go to Apple Podcasts? Why not just go to iHeartRadio, to Google Podcasts, to Stitcher? The list goes on. Uh, and so that's kind of where I get a little hung up. I feel as though if you're going to put something into video format, there should be something for me to look at because people have said, you know, you can, you can put your podcast, say on YouTube, for example, with just your podcast logo the whole time, or maybe just the guest's picture. Uh, and I get that because of the people that put their phone face down, but myself, I kind of have a problem putting that out because I feel like I'm cheating my audience or shortchanging them. If you and I were talking right now and people watched the video back and all it was was a picture of Bruce the whole time, I think they'd go, well, where is the, where is this guy sitting? What does he look like? Is that a picture of him as Joey was recording him or was that a <laughs> screenshot or what is it? And, and what does Joey's background look like? And so people want to see those kind of things. If I keep looking away, they want to talk in the comments about, why did Bruce keep looking away? And it's fascinating what people get caught up in, but that's why I feel you have to give them something that is moving pictures so that they see that this is a video podcast for a reason. Yeah, it's very true. When I listen or watch the podcast that have video on my phone, I'll kind of rest to the side and I'll work, but period, you know, I'll listen completely, but periodically I will look over and watch the video a bit and just kind of see their interaction then come back. Yeah, but it is interesting. I, I don't know where I, I video record everything just, just because I've only been doing this a year and a half. I'm not a veteran like yourself. Uh, we're up to about 186, uh, episodes, I believe. Uh, but I just made video just a conscious part of it back then. How would you describe your interviews, interviewing style? Well, I would say that I definitely have a format. I like it to be very conversational, but at the same time, when I say I have an agenda, again, with that heart for the DIY artists, I want to make sure that I let them talk about their latest song or their upcoming mm. album or their newest music video. I do challenge myself to not get into a rut where you can predict every question Bruce is going to ask every week. But at the same time, I kind of go in with the same spirit every time. That way I know, okay, this is kind of where I want the conversation to lie. In other words, I've heard an artist or two say, who cares if I started singing when I was three, you know, or I came out of the womb singing that, you know, some of them will say like, who cares about that? Like, ask me about what I'm doing now. And I mm. get that. But sometimes there is justification to asking an artist, let's go all the way back to the beginning and tell me about when you first started. And all of a sudden you'll hear them say, 
well, my mom played violin and my dad played guitar and piano because he was a music educator. So there was always music around the house. So they didn't force me into it, but it was natural that I was going to pick it up. And in fact, and then they'll go on to tell you this really cool story. I mean, there's someone that I interviewed last year who she comes from a musical family and I have seen now she lives in LA and her family's in the Northeast, but she has started to do this thing where a couple times she will go all the way back home to see her parents and they will do a live stream and it's a family concert. Mm. So here they are all playing their respective instruments and she's singing and you go, now see, that's unique. And if you took away, how did you get your start? You'd miss out on the whole family part of that. And it would just be about what are you doing right now? And that's all well and good, but I think you're not giving your audience the full picture. So, you know, I do like to ask a broad enough range. I mean, if I can see that somebody has really got a strong suit somewhere, I'll probably lean on that more than not. Uh, At the same time, if someone's been on The Voice, if someone's been on American Idol, if someone's been on America's Got Talent, I'm not going to spend the whole interview talking to them about that because I've had so many guests on who've been on those shows that I'll ask it because I I will usually joke and say, I'm required by podcast law to ask you about your experience Mm. on American Idol and they'll laugh about it. And I may, I may come up with a follow-up question or something. Um, But, you know, I think I've heard just about all the stories by this point. And so I'm sure if the audience has been with me long enough, they've heard them too. And it's kind of one of those things where you go, okay, like people are going to expect me to talk about it. I will, but there's other things. Now on the flip side, it's also why I will turn people down if they say that they want to be on my show. And it's, you know, an 18 year old girl who's about to put out her first song. I say, this show is 45, 50, sometimes 55 minutes long. If you're about to put out your first song, what do you have to talk about? Mm. We can talk about that song, but we're not going to talk about that song for 45 minutes. So you got to bring more to the table. Are are you experiencing at all kind of fatigue with the, I mean, um, it's musicians. Do you ever think about doing actors or different kind of artists or is it, is it mostly just musicians? Cause that's all I heard. It's overwhelmingly musicians. I will stray a little bit now and then not too far. There've been a couple times when I've gotten a little off the beaten path, um, selfishly on episode 200, because it was going to be my milestone 200th episode, the timing was right. And comedian Jim Florentine was going to be here in Tampa doing his yeah. stand-up act. Uh, and so I contacted him and said, I'd love to interview you for my milestone 200th episode. He thought it was cool. I went and literally sat with him in the quote unquote green room that afternoon and interviewed him. There was another comedian. In fact, I interviewed, his name is Mike E. Winfield. I interviewed him way back in the day. And this past season, he was on America's Got Talent. So it's kind of funny that I interviewed him before he hit that stage. There was someone who I interviewed. We don't need to get into it, but I was at Comic-Con in 2017. I had been invited to Comic-Con by Tascam. And I didn't know much about Comic-Con. And then when I was there, I thought, I don't know enough about this, but I can tell that I don't know why I'm here. And so scrambling to find podcast guests was challenging. And I ended up interviewing someone that, again, to your question, he was nowhere near the music business. He was a uh, an author and an illustrator. He's been doing comics you know, for major newspapers for many, many years. And so about the farthest that I might stray these days is if somebody is, quote unquote, 
just a booking agent, for example. I did have someone on who was just a booking agent and didn't perform music himself. Uh, but I think, Joey, that's what helps me not get fatigue is the fact mm. that I'm trying to serve music clients. And if I'm over here interviewing someone who all they do, and I don't mean it the way it sounds, but in other words, if their entertainment specialty is being an actor, that's not going to do too much for me as the owner of Now Hear This Incorporated and trying to serve the clients that I'm working with. Yeah, ultimately, that's who you're trying to serve. Very and, interesting. And, and the other I'll, thing, too, is that is then, you know, then you have to ask yourself, well, where do I draw the line? Because if all of a sudden you right. start to cast a wider net, now you're going to have people knocking at your door saying, well, I'm a magician or I'm a, uh, what do they call those people? A lion tamer fortune tellers or, or whatever well, that's entertaining <laughs> right. to some people and i go oh, you know then then you're going to say now i've opened pandora's box interesting and when you uh I, I heard one of your interviews where you you talked about you try to imagine what the audience would want to ask when talking to your guests yeah absolutely. elaborate on that well that's from working with the indie artists you know i i know what you know questions they is. have uh, mm. and so I just have such a good sense with all the conversations that I have with so many people. And I'm not only talking about podcast guests, but for instance, you know, I do travel back and forth a lot to places like Nashville and Los Angeles. And the more that I'm talking to people and I hear what the conversations are, I can anticipate hmm. that if someone is on my podcast, and sometimes you'll hear me say, I know that if I have this question, some of you out there do as well. So I kind of know what's on their minds and it's almost one of those you're hmm. tapping into the mindset of the audience and trying to theoretically listen of them yelling in your ear, ask them about this, ask right. them about that. So it's trying to anticipate without it being the predictable questions. But in other words, if I asked an artist, you just had your latest album entirely funded through Kickstarter. Tell us about that process. Hmm. They'll say to me, They'll say, well, I was really lucky to get that done because, you know, I, I was pretty aggressive. My goal was $20,000 and we hit it. In fact, we went a little over. I think it was a $21,200. So uh, it, it was really fortunate. And, and then I was able to make the album. And I'll say, that's great. And, and I know you're really lucky to have gotten that done. But why Kickstarter? W what did you do to decide that that was the one to use and not Indiegogo or not GoFundMe or not. And, the, and then you can kind of tell that the light's going on that, oh, he actually wants to know like the mouse clicks and the nuts and bolts. Hmm. And then if they say, I had tried one before and wasn't really happy with it. And so, you know, Kickstarter offered me this and this and this. By the time they come up for air, I know that the audience wants to know, well, what was the one that he tried before? Because I want to stay away from that one. So I'll say, if you don't mind saying it on the air, what was the one that you tried before that you weren't too happy with? Uh, and more often than not, they'll understand the spirit with which I'm asking it. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, it was actually, and they'll say the name of it. Uh, and, and I know that the audience is going to go, I can't believe he didn't ask him which one it was. So it's just really kind of listening from the standpoint of, of the audience members and same way as if, as if you or I were driving down the road and listening to a podcast and it's an interview format. You know, you're going to be yelling at, at your car radio, ask him this, ask him that. And you hope <laughs> I've that, done the, that. Yeah. And you hope that the yeah. host is, is on the ray game that, that they're going to anticipate those questions.
So on the podcast, Bruce, I always bring up, uh, you know, discipline. I started my, my, I'm in the tech industry back in the nineties and I gained a lot of weight. Uh, I got up to about 340 pounds. The doctor said to me, you know, mm. you're not going to see your daughter graduate unless you lose the weight. I was pre-diabetic, pre-hypertension. It's a terrible wow. situation I put myself in. So, you know, I, I decided to lose, I lost about a hundred pounds in seven months. I continued to lose more weight, did some, uh, triathlons, but people always ask, you know, what did you do to lose the weight? Like there's some quick answer. <laughs> and uh, I always just say discipline, right? I just, that's it. I just discipline and focus. There's no magic. That's what it is. So I wonder how yeah. discipline plays a role in your life. Well, number one, just as it relates to the podcast, but then I'll take a step back and show you the bigger picture. With Please. podcasting, it's it's a great tool for discipline because in my case, I know that my new episode has to be out every... It's funny, just as a side note, I'm, I'm tempted to say every Wednesday morning, but I think as podcasters, we forget that there's people listening all over the world and what might be Wednesday morning for Bruce in Tampa, Florida might be... <laughs> Wednesday evening for the person that's somewhere in Europe. In Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, or the next day in, in yeah. uh, Oceania. But so when I know that that's a schedule I have to hit, you got to stay disciplined to make sure that I don't care how many other things come up. Keep in mind, I'm a one-man operation. So I'm recording, I'm editing, I'm publishing these, I'm doing the social media, everything. Wow. So it helps me stay disciplined because I know, okay, if I'm editing on Tuesday for the one that comes out the next day, well, I darn well better get it done or I'm not going to have it out in time. And then I also have my weekly newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. And you and I both see, Joey, we get bombarded by people who email you every day or maybe four out of seven days a week and you get sick of seeing their name in your inbox and you go, somehow I got on their mailing list and I don't even know who this person is, but I can't stand seeing their emails. Mm. So I just send something out every Wednesday to let people know who's on the latest episode and a couple other things of, of you know what I'm up to or, or podcast related. But that's something that, again, you got to set your watch by it. You got to have that newsletter ready so it's in everybody's inbox, quote unquote, Wednesday morning. Then I think of what about promoting it? So the social media posts need to get done on Wednesday when the new episode is out. And mm. I have kind of really flexed my muscle with Instagram where Instagram, that account that I have is just for my podcast. And I do post seven days a week on it. But again, it's kind of something that I've become disciplined at where people say, well, wait a minute, what are you putting up the other six days of the week if your podcast only comes out on Wednesday? And a lot of times I'll say, go follow me and find out. And it's yeah. kind of kind of half joking, like, ha ha, I want more followers on Instagram. But it's also go there and follow me so that you can learn and steal my ideas. I don't care. For instance, I have myself disciplined that every Sunday, no matter what it takes, I'm always going to post a quote from a guest on a past episode. And so I go in and I look at which one did I publish last Sunday? Okay, that means now I'm up to episode number such and such. And let me go to that show page and look through the quotes and pull out a good quote from that guest from that episode and make a little piece of art that I can put on Instagram for that day. Monday, wow. I always write a blog on my website. So Monday's Instagram post is, here's what the blog is. Go to the podcast website to read it. Uh, and so... That discipline, I really think looking back stemmed from, you know, if, if you look at your childhood, there's so much discipline in your childhood that you're not aware of. And when I say discipline, I'm, I'm also talking about routines. 
right? So whether it's something like going to school every day or going to church every Sunday morning. And because I spent so many years working in sports, if you think about sporting events, puck drop is at 7.30, right? Kickoff is at four o'clock. First pitch is at 1.38. These games all have starting times. They're not going to wait around and, you know, well, it says it's a four o'clock kickoff, but eh, sometimes it's around four. No, if it says four o'clock, it's four o'clock. And so throughout our lives, we get into all these situations where we really can get ourselves conditioned and become routine with things so that we're disciplined, that they become muscle memory. So when all of a sudden you're faced with something like putting out a podcast as an example, you go, oh, okay, so every Wednesday morning, and now you're the one that's in control and you decide, okay, this is the schedule. Now, mind you, this isn't for everybody because as I'm sure your podcast teaches, if you don't have discipline, you're going to go, you know what? I don't care if the game ticket says kickoff is at four o'clock. I just can't be on time to save my life. And I'm probably going to get there halfway through the first quarter. Well, you're going to want to change those habits because you're going to be disappointed when you pay that big ticket price and you walk in and it is halfway through the first quarter, you know, or you already missed a touchdown or you already missed, you know, a goal by each team at the hockey game. And so (laughs) shameless plug, that's a great thing about podcasting is because podcasts are on demand, you're not going to quote unquote show up late. If you sit down to watch a TV show that starts at eight o'clock and it's eight Oh six, you're going to go, what did I miss? With uh, the podcast, you determine when you're going to press play. Yeah, on demand. Yeah, it's fascinating that you you equate, you know, and I wrote down as you were talking routine and you actually said it, with discipline with kind of deadline, routine, and prioritizing. Um, those and that, And you've carried that over from your personal life into the podcast, into your business world. Yeah, you have to. You have to. And and again, there's going to be people in your audience that are going to say, no, you don't have to. You choose to. But that's where I and I understand that. I understand that because I've had the criticisms of of people saying Bruce needs things on a routine. Bruce needs things on a schedule. Bruce needs parameters. You know, Bruce doesn't want you to color outside the lines. And I have had to learn in my personal life over the years to be more spontaneous and to say that, you know what, it's okay to say, hey, look at I know I got to edit the podcast, but I'll I'll get it done, and then let's jump in the car and let's drive over to to Disney Springs and nice. you know see the Christmas trees or whatever it is. I, you know I have had to learn that lesson. But if you noticed, I said in there, let me get the podcast edited, and then let's walk out the door and go mm. do that. Now, of course, mm. you do have to look at your workload, and you know, am I serving my clients? Am I at a good time? Am I being responsible? Am I, am I being responsibly spontaneous? Uh, so I have had to learn to kind of let my guard down a little bit and avail myself to spontaneity so that you don't miss out on things that being too regimented could, could otherwise prevent you from experiencing. You know, I get pushback sometimes, Bruce, from, from guests and others saying, you know, you don't need discipline. You need more compassion or you need more love or you need more focus. And to that, I say, I, I agree. I don't claim to be the discipline king. I can just tell you I use discipline as a, a vehicle to lose a lot of weight. I continue to use self-discipline in many respects now. And I would also say if compassion is your goal, don't you need a certain amount of self-discipline to, to exercise that? So I, I just love the dialogue. I don't claim that it's the high priority for everyone. I just enjoy talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I could make an argument that I have a lot of compassion. I have a lot of love. And if I want to go and see my kids, 
you know, they live 75 and 90 minutes away from us. So I want to go see them. I just need to make sure that my work is done so that I don't even have to think about work when right. I go and visit them and love on them for as long as I want to and go, I don't care that it's 9 p.m. on a Sunday night and, you know, we still got a 75 minute drive back home. Like I'm, I'm great being here with the kids. Uh, so, you know, that's an opportunity to do both, to say I'm being disciplined because I'm making sure that I'm being responsible to getting the work done that needs to be done by a certain time and then leaving it behind so I can be wide open to doing nothing but just just being in a loving posture. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Just just last week, uh, I pulled the curtain back. I spent the week in Disney with my daughters, and mm-hmm. you know they're in their twenties and they love it more now than they ever have. And you know to be able to get make sure your work's aside and make sure everything's caught up and to spend family time like time like that is so rewarding. Um, Bruce Wozniak, what motivates you? Huh. it's sad that. When you hear that question asked, the first thing you probably think of is money. Um, but again, you know that goes back to the conversation I was having before about, well, wait a minute, what do you define success to be? Because you know, motivation, I think to me is because I am someone who's very structured. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Now hear this. NHT is your is your firm and also your podcast. Bruce, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I look forward to uh, meeting you face to face. Thanks again. Bye now. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider $5, $10, or $20 a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations.